Hi everyone, Eric here. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of our new season. It really starts with a bang, but I assure you that it's just the tip of the iceberg of what's to come. I wanted to take just a moment to let you all know that we'll be taking a short holiday break, so there will be no episode next week. Might I suggest checking out our short four-episode arc that starts Manu and Rose's journey with the Yellow King, called Cold as Ice, which you can now find on our main feed? Or, if you've already done that, you could subscribe to our Patreon and instantly gain access to three more mini-seasons. Two playing Delta Green Scenarios from Control Group, a scenario book from Rec Dream Publishing, and a holiday-themed game of Fiasco, which just might be the darkest story we've ever told. A perfect way to get yourself into the holiday spirit. You can support us on Patreon by going to www.patreon.com slash nomgpodcast. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming on January 3rd. And until then, on behalf of everyone at the Nature of My Game podcast, we wish you a very happy holidays and an excellent new year. And now, with no more ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy Episode 2 of Casilda Song Chapter 2, Higher Ground. Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. And as it gets closer, you can see that it's some sort of inflatable flying machine. See, uh, this is what I was talking about. This, uh, I knew, you know, there would be something that they would have for me. And sure enough, we have this uh, strange thing coming in and flying towards the tower. Percy is always up for an adventure. It's not like he really does anything else of note that's, that's useful. You have all gazed willingly at the yellow sign. No! Welcome one and all to an opportunity of a lifetime. I am Monsieur Jules Radon, and this is the Pearl of the Hyades. This was a tip from Casilda. That's what this is coming from. That's what this is. Oh my, Montgomery, don't you see? This is a this is an opportunity for us now. We, we have to get on that ship. No ifs, ands, or buts. We have to get on that ship. Wait, you want to, to go on this craft? You will be sending the telegram? She will be going, and I will be going. And if you would like to stay behind, you're more than welcome. Most of us saw something very different than each other's. How very bizarre. The opportunity that I am offering is, as I said, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Surely you must know that only those who have made sufficient impact on this world should be able to take the journey to another. Paris, September 27th, 1895. A sharp-featured, pale woman in a stiff but elegant red dress walked through the streets of Paris near Notre Dame Cathedral, the wind blowing around her, though she seemed not to notice. It was dark, and the light of the moon was all she could see by, but she strode determinedly all the same. "'Excuse me, madam. I don't know if you should be heading down there all alone, that is,' a man called out to her as she turned down an alleyway off the main road. She simply held up a hand to the man, and he fell silent. Without another look, the woman continued on her way. The woman made her way to the Seine and along its embankment, and after a few minutes, she arrived at her destination, a makeshift living area built from bits of rubble. Children far too young to be on their own nevertheless peered out at her from behind large rocks, but moved no closer. Without a moment's hesitation, the woman continued along, not acknowledging the children until she arrived at an overhang with graffiti painted on it. A young girl was sitting alone, back up against the wall of the overhang. Greetings, the woman said. Is your name Anja? 
The young girl looked up at the woman with not a hint of fear in her eyes and nodded. Good, the woman said. I've been looking for you. Before the woman spoke again, she looked over the young girl's head at what looked like graffiti painted on the wall behind her. Drawn there was a heart in red paint, and inside the heart was a strange, snake-like sigil drawn in yellow. The woman smiled. Is that for your brother? The woman asked, pointing at the heart. The girl once again nodded without saying a word. I thought so, the woman said. Now, Anju, I know what happened to your brother, and I know how it happened as well. But what I don't know yet are the names of the people who did this. But I believe you do, don't you? Can you give them to me? For a third time, and with a combination of pain, hatred, and determination on her face, the young girl nodded. So this is now our second season of playing through Casilda's Song, a, a full-length epic Yellow King RPG campaign from Pelgrane Press, written by Robin Laws. And we have uh, three more players um, that were not in the first Casilda Song season. Um, and this will this kind of rounds out our full cast. In the first Casilda Song season, I had each of the players, as they introduced themselves, do two truths and a lie. I'm not going to do two truths and a lie this time, uh, but we are going to do a uh, we are going to do kind of a, a get to know you question as part of this. But I do want to introduce our players. Um, if you've listened to the Nature of My Game podcast before, uh, before we started Casilda Song, you've probably heard all of them before. But if not, this will be the first time. So I do want to take a second to introduce all of our players. Uh, so first up, we have uh, Tommy Witty. Um, who in this season and in, in a couple past Yellow King seasons has played Montgomery Hogg. He has also played Gavin Caldwell in our uh, Knights Black Agent season called Rock the Casbah. And, the legend. Yes, the legend Gavin Caldwell. And uh, he also played Barney Rubles in our... Oh, the true legend. <laughs> yeah, the that's the, the best in, character uh, I've in, ever played. <laughs> in Mama, I'm Coming Home, which was a Patreon uh, special where we played um, Fiasco. Uh, and he's also the game master, or I think in that I think in Monster of the Week it's called the Keeper. The Keeper, that's right. Uh, you were the Keeper for uh, for our season called She Blinded Me with Science. So uh, yeah, hi Tommy, how you doing? Glad to, glad to have you back on as a player. Thank you. I'm excited to be back as a player. It's great to uh, it's great to not have the pressure uh, of <laughs> trying to coordinate everything yes. during the game and setting everything <laughs> up. Although that is still it, that is still fun when you're in the middle of it and doing it, but it is a lot of pressure. Some say fun. Some say other things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the question that I'm going to ask each of you to answer, and I'm going to put you on the spot to start, Tommy, is Emily Townsend, who plays Frances Anderson. Um, and, and other characters on the network said that she often makes playlists for her characters. 
you know, songs that uh, either inspire that might inspire the character or or represent something about their character. So, Tommy, I want to know what a song that would be included on the Tommy Witty playlist would be. It's either something that you think tells us something about yourself or something like that. Oh, so about me and not about my character. Correct. Yes, or you, 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 Tommy Witty. I was going to say because I. I'm telling you, playlists for characters, great Patreon content there. Oh, yeah. So, um, something that tells me, oh, gosh, that's that's hard. <laughs> uh, I think probably whatever it would be would end up being like a They Might Be Giant song, because that's just like in a group that has long been uh, one of my one of my favorites and sort of fits in nicely with my like aesthetic of like weird and a little poppy and like I guess I would pick the song Dead by They Might Be Giants. I think okay. that would be that would be my choice of song. I do often describe you as weird and a little poppy. So Yeah, that's I think that's what everyone <laughs> says about me. <laughs> awesome. Um, next up we have Chris Smith who plays Percy Vanderbilt in our Casilda song campaign. Uh, was was the one member of this cast that was also in the first Casilda song season. Uh, he has also played Fabio Scamacca in Rock the Casbah. Love um, Fabio. Al- along, with, <laughs> along with Tommy. And uh, Dr. Peter Hagar uh, from Down with the Sickness, our Patreon exclusive playthrough of the Delta Green scenario, Sick Again. So, hi, Chris. Uh, what would your song be, do you think? Yeah, that uh, that's a great question. Uh, I've been racking my brain for the past, like, 30 seconds on this one. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> question. I had no idea. Uh, I I mean I I guess I'd had I'm, I'm a little bit of a jazz head, not like crazy, but um, been listening to a lot of Coltrane lately. Um, it's probably something like that. Um, I love Supreme, maybe. Do you feel like you have your your personality gives off jazzy vibes? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whether guy. I want the answer to that to be yes or no. Honestly, <laughs> I. I can see you being a jazz guy. Like it's, I, I okay. guess it's not surprising to me, but also you're not, you don't come off as one of the like obnoxious jazz people. No, it doesn't Good, seem like yes, you compare that's... everything that's like slightly chaotic. You like, you know, it's a lot like jazz. Basketball's like <laughs> jazz. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. You don't There's seem like that up. kind of jazz guy. Yeah, yeah. You seem like a guy who likes jazz, and I respect that. No, you know, I, I think playing it. RPGs all, is a lot like you. jazz. Oh, right. yeah. Come on, Eric. They are bringing something stop of their it. own. Relax. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of improv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love everybody it. stop. Please. Stop. Beautiful music all together. There's a set oh, no. structure, but everyone has to interpret uh, in the structure. It describes everything. Awful. It describes this everything. Awful. <laughs> you got this question ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Uh, so we uh, next we have Sarah Lovejoy, who plays uh, Manu Kasut. Manu has appeared in our in one of our Patreon exclusives, which is now public uh, for everyone to listen to, leading up to Casilda's song called Cold so as Ice. Good. She has also played Dahlia Ivanova in Hotel California, one of our uh, previous Delta Green seasons. She also played Dr. Zenny, J- Dr. Jenny Zyga in Down with the Sickness, and also Lucy Mayer in our yeah. uh, Patreon-exclusive playthrough of Black Sat called Space Oddity. Uh, so hello, Sarah. Uh, what song represents you as a person? What would be on your playlist? I'm like scrolling through my playlist. This is a stressful <laughs> question to me. I was so ready for Manu's song. I think I'm going to have to do Taylor Swift. If, because yeah, you're going to have to. what I, I listen to more than anything else. Um, you're on your own, kid, is like 
just a work of art. I think it's so beautiful. And it's been on my mind a lot lately of just like, it, I don't know, some people think it's sad because you're on your own, but like you can make life whatever you would like to make it. Lovely. So, Thank shout you. Shout out to my girl. <laughs> <laughs> I almost, it, I would, I also have an answer to this question. I almost picked Taylor Swift's song, but I, I stayed away. You didn't? I didn't, I didn't, but I am, I, I am a big Swifty for sure. Well, I'll get there in a second. Are we allowed to turn the questions on? Yeah, right. Of course you are. <laughs> okay. I always answer the questions myself. Yeah. Um, But before we get to me, last uh, but not least in our group is Mikey Krennic, uh, plays Donald Braith, uh, who was in our first two Yellow King seasons as well, has also played Chip Lynch in Hotel California, (laughs) and perhaps my favorite character that he's ever played, Captain Dr. Gary Vogel from Down with the Sickness. Everybody loves Doc. (laughs) Everybody loves the cap. Um, So uh, what song would be on your playlist, Mikey? You know, probably Many Men by 50 Cent because I'm a guy who got a lot of haters and a lot of people try to keep me down you know with like they threaten me with metaphorical death and I just have to rise above it you know I really I rep I find myself in a lot of 50s music in that way not 50s era <laughs> yeah 50 Cent yes Mr. but also Mr. Cent I was going to say a lot and of doo from many, you yeah a lot of doo a lot of I, I don't know what song I would pick realistically <laughs> I guess I'm trying to think uh, my uh, <laughs> I don't pick know. A, the listeners want to know be, about you as a person, Mike. Be lame. Pick a Bruce song. Just be like I, as I, predictable yeah. and as obvious easy as and possible. As possible as possible. I, I, I went with the They Might Be Giants song, which, like, if I, that's true. If I had to think yeah. about it, I might not have, but, like, spur of the moment. Who am I trying to impress, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I will go with. Uh, there's a Bruce song that uh, it's escaping me right now that's very. Uh, Ah, uh, we'll go with Tougher Than the Rest by Bruce Springs. Love it. Love it. Like That's that a good song. song. Like that yeah. one. Um, and then uh, if if by chance anyone uh, who's listening to this still hasn't quite figured out who I am yet, um, I am Eric Priester, the the creator <laughs> and host of the Nature of My Game podcast. And on my way uh, to the to the uh, the house that I was record I, that we're recording this at, I was listening to um, I was thinking about this uh, this scenario, this season, and and listening to Hozier. I don't know whether Hozier is like an embarrassing uh, artist to be a fan of no. or not. Hozier's uh, rad. Like he's really cool. Maybe he could yeah. be, but I, I do like Hozier. Me too. And I, I, I came up with this question, and I also, in the middle of listening to the song Jackie and Wilson, um, which I think is the song I'm going to choose for myself, because I think it expresses a, a, a dissatisfaction with the world while still trying to find some joy in it. So I, I think that represents my personality decently well. Mm. I don't know if there will be joy for our four characters, though, <laughs> in the world that they find themselves in. Uh, in 1895 Paris, all of them have gone through harrowing experiences dealing with some connection between the world and the king in yellow before, and they seem to have found themselves there again as a an inflatable aircraft docked itself on the Eiffel Tower, covered in the yellow sign, and is advertising that people chosen for a secret auction will be able to bid on tickets to join Monsieur Radon, the person who is leading, uh, or who is, who is kind of on the inflatable aircraft. He will take them to the planet Aldebaran. Uh, on a on a once in a lifetime journey, and so our our art students have decided that they are going to do their best to figure out what's going on, uh, potentially try to get on the flight to see if they can uh, save 
anyone they can from what must be a dangerous undertaking because of the presence of the yellow sign. Um, where we left off was Montgomery Hogg and Manuka Suit having a conversation with Monsieur Jules Radon, and he has just told them that the criteria for being selected for the secret auction is that you must be someone who has made a significant impact on the world if you're going to be allowed to see and explore other worlds. So we'll pick up back there. Significant impact on the world. Um, well, if I may say so, Monsieur Redon, uh, that can take many forms. Many different people can have many ways of impacting the world, and some of them may be judged as significant by history, but in many cases... Uh, Significant can be judged by those around them. Someone who feels that a person was a vital pillar of their community. Names that might otherwise be lost to time but are not insignificant to those who knew them. So may I ask, who is it that is judging this significance of a person's impact on the world? He pauses for a second and then doesn't answer your question, but says, Monsieur Hogg, you strike me as... A bit of a philosopher. Will you be putting your name into the running yourself? Monsieur Radon, yes. I believe you will find my name in the running uh, very shortly. And do you believe that you have had a significant impact on the world in the way that you describe? Monsieur, I do not believe that is up for me to judge. But I do intend to be on that ship when it leaves. And he kind of smiles and says... I hope that you are. And you, madame. Mademoiselle. Et moi aussi. Like, also, yes, me. Like, she just keeps it very light. Like, I'll be on it, too. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and your impact? And this is, like, tough for Manu. Like, she is very... She's not very often tough on herself, but as um, a muse and not an artist, she doesn't really like to think about this question of what she is leaving on the world, so she's um, also deflecting... Um, Many know the impact that I have had on this world. It is not for me to say. She, she doesn't want to keep talking about it. She says it like very lightly, like, oh, of course. I see the two of you both have humility. Perhaps that will aid you in your chances in, in being selected for the auction. Do you have any other questions for me, Monsieur Hogg? What was it that made you feel like uh, you needed to present this opportunity to the world? Why you, Monsieur Radon? There is no one else. I see you have our humility as well. Yes, yes, he laughs at that, and he kind of snaps his fingers, and the craft starts kind of descending back down to pick him up. Thank you all for your time. I look forward to receiving your telegram. Indeed. Your time is much appreciated, Monsieur. So we're going to cut over to... Uh, Donald and Percy, two the best of friends, Donald and Percy. <laughs> buddy, buddy. <laughs> um, what do you think the conversation is like on the way to the telegram office? Uh, light. Yes. <laughs> yeah, grim. <laughs> minimal. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like, mm-hmm. I would imagine that Percy actually is, is talking plenty. Yeah. Because I think that I, I would, I, my sense of it is like, they're probably... He's probably not oblivious to the animosity because Donald's not very good at hiding anything and his intentions. He's a very direct kind of man. So, like, I'm sure Percy kind of picks up that he's not crazy about him, but I'm sure he's trying to needle him a little. Like, my guess is Donald's not talking about Percy. I think Percy also, he, he like, despite a little bit of the animosity and competition, he does seek approval 
from both Donald and Monty. Um, they're a little bit older, either not mentors to him, but I think he thinks of them as being something like that. And so, you know, he's just throw, he's throwing out these observations, these kind of like saccharine phrases of his and just very overwrought, seeing inspiration everywhere. And I imagine that's a very one way conversation. I love that. Inspiration everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Paris. He's walking by. He'll see, like, you know, a pile of trash outside, and he's like, oh, it's beauty. Beauty, right? This is, like, us. why he and Manu do actually <laughs> oh, get along exactly, quite well. Exactly. <laughs> that, that and the money, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Donald is just a lot of, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes, Percy. Do you think Percy, is he trying to particularly avoid talking about the situation that they've found themselves in, not even necessarily the situation with Manu, but the situation with the with the aircraft. Is he is he just kind of commenting on what they're seeing around him to pass the time, or is he kind of like thinking and is he is he trying to like continue to figure out what's going on? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, they were the two who saw the same thing, right? Yes. Yeah. So so I think Percy is probing that a little bit because that's interesting to him since these other visions happen that don't really align i think he thinks that you know maybe it suggests the two of them are tuned to the same frequency a little bit or something but i also think percy's someone who he he likes the sense of adventure in a broad sense but he's not really a i'm getting to the bottom of it let's probe the details type of guy he's kind Mm -hmm. of this is new this is fun this is interesting uh my life is boring i don't do anything we might as well pursue this and Donald just wants to intensely pursue whatever one lead he's walking on. He's so single-minded. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying is this is a really great pair of investigators <laughs> yeah. to send out together. <laughs> a guy who's just like, whatever. And a guy who's like, no, this is we're, we're getting to the bottom of this and only this. Yeah. <laughs> You're definitely going to notice the things going on around you. Yeah, we're going to the, we're get, we're going to the telegraph. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so I do think, Percy, one thing... Now that you're separate from the situation a little bit, uh, you're you're not so you're not in the mid, in the heat of competition with Donald, even though you're standing next to him. You know, Manu's not around. I think one thing you think about, one thing that strikes you, is a couple of similarities between Radon and a man whose pen name is Nadar. Uh, his real name is Gaspard Felix Tornachon, and he's a somewhat famous person in society who he started out publishing cartoons in journals, and then he started publishing journals of his own. He moved into the field of portrait photography and has, like, taken photos of a lot of famous people in Paris. But during kind of the, you know, over the last decade or so, he really embraced that ballooning craze that I was talking about, and he wanted to become the first aerial photographer. And has it actually succeeded at that? He has this like massive, ungainly double-decker balloon called the Giant, and he he like takes photos of Paris from up in this big balloon, and also like brings oh. tourists aboard, like sells tickets and like brings tourists aboard and like freaks them out because you know nobody's ever they don't like go up uh, that high over Paris, and so just like the 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 balloons and the fact that Radon is Nadar in reverse strikes you as odd you know this reminds me of a good friend of mine from society someone i know very well you know a famous cartoonist uh photographer and balloonist um named nadar which 
in case it's a bit much for you, seems like it's Radon backwards. So I think there may be a lead here. I can't believe I'm saying this, Vanderbilt, but that's that's interesting. Uh, you you say you're you're quite familiar with this fellow? Yes, yes. Well, not not recently, not in not in touch recently, but a a close <laughs> personal acquaintance of sorts. Says a nineteen year old. <laughs> it's been a while since we've been in touch, but <laughs> we last spoke when I was twelve. <laughs> I saw his balloon. <laughs> Do you know how to contact him, where he may be located, where he's lived in the past few years since you spoke to your close personal friend, of course? Yes, well, as, as I said, it's someone my, my acquaintances are very close to. Um, however, perhaps the best way to get in touch with him will be at the telegraph office, because he's sort of a man of mystery. Thank you for that information. It was ultimately pointless. <laughs> uh, so, Percy, I think you would know that rumors are that he is in he's in uh, Marseille uh, mm. at the moment, but he, he actually is kind of a man of mystery. So, <laughs> uh, he that's what that's where people say he is. In fact, it's just occurred to me that he's probably <laughs> in Marseille at the moment. <laughs> I love the feeding of information and then they're repeating it back. Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, nature my game class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that might be a, a stone for us to unturn. Uh, you could perhaps use your wonderful charm to talk to this acquaintance of yours. But first, the telegraph office. Yeah, so you arrive at the office and it seems like they are already being flooded with telegrams coming in and... It seems like a few telegraph operators are just arriving as if they called in extra people uh, to come uh, kind of, you know, type out these telegrams and uh, get and uh, start kind of producing the actual physical papers that need to be produced. I think that Donald would be struck. He'd think of, you know, he's trying to be like his, his friends, trying to be like Monty. And I think he would be kind of struck with the idea of like, I wonder if we can't get our hands on some of these telegrams and just start getting rid of them. Like, I wonder if we can't, in in this, like, could, could we get back there? Could we say we're here to help and just start throwing away telegrams that are coming in for this? Like, is there a way to not only get the information that we need, like, see where they're going, talk to some of the people, but also increase our chances by thinning the pool a bit? I think Percy has very similar thoughts, though in his mind, it's can I bribe the telegraph operators to destroy all the other telegrams Ooh, and just all make sure they never get there? Nice. Yeah. So, what say you? How would you like to approach, Game Master? All right, let's let's play out the conversation. I think as they're walking in, like Donald puts his arm out and stops Percy before you go in and start babbling around. Let's figure out a plan of action here, Vanderbilt. I think our best usage here is to thin the herd a bit, perhaps. We can get information, see where these telegrams are going, see the contents of them, but also perhaps misplace a number of them. Uh, uh, use our use our guts and our guile to 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 see what we can't uh, find out and what we can't make disappear. I I couldn't agree more. Perhaps we can enlist a few of these telegraph operators to help us out in our cause. Oh, I suppose you should get the billfold ready then. That's that's your weapon of choice. Isn't it? <laughs> It can't cost much, just a, just a few dollars here or there. The way you flaunted about is a bit gauche, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> All right, so do you want to try to gather some information first and then start bribing officials? Or... 
that's probably the best course of action if we're going the bribery route and that's probably a safer bet we probably we don't have to there's less levels of convincing to do because to just get back there and do it we have to be like oh we're here we're from the you know the temp agency or wherever <laughs> like whoever whatever uh i guess the only alternative is just like saying like you seem quite inundated could you use a hand sorting through these telegrams but money is probably going to have more of a chance to work guaranteed without like us using a push or a persuade or and i don't think either of us are particularly gifted in the wait and you do world have of, my friend works there too though right that could be helpful giselle yes oh that's true we could name drop a little bit yeah we could yes we could definitely try i that. think you could uh, hopefully you could pay giselle to destroy them <laughs> <laughs> so uh so you so you walk into the you walk into the office and there are a number of people that are kind of in that are that are working in transcribing these telegrams that are coming in and there seems to be a woman off to the side who is kind of talking to the people that are coming in um she's passing off messages to delivery boys who are out who are like running out to like take telegrams and she's also like directing the newcomers that are coming in so it seems like she's in charge the boss okay so i think donald will quickly kind of cuff percy and just lean over to him and say follow my lead let me do the talking so they stride on over to this woman uh excuse me uh excuse me miss yeah uh who are you uh, uh, my name is uh, Donald Braith, and, and this is uh, uh, Percy Vanderbilt, and, uh, well, uh, uh, Are you looking uh, for I a telegram? A, uh, Percy, go right ahead. <laughs> are you, sir, are you uh, here for a telegram? Uh, perhaps we're here for several telegrams, if you might be able to help us. And I think he slides a big, whatever the biggest denomination of money is here. <laughs> French <laughs> like fries. Across. <laughs> uh, you do, you do have negotiation, right? Um... I do not. Interesting. I've officialed them. <laughs> That's yeah, true. As do I? As do I? <laughs> I think. I think maybe. I think you're a little awkward with it. Like I think. I think mm. you slide the money over, but like you're not like as clear as you need to be. Like you're. You're picturing in your mind how Genevieve would do it, and she's always so. Like the tone of her voice makes her intention clear. And she's always very deliberate with it, but subtle in a, in a way that you're you you can't quite pull off. And she just looks at you. She says, "Do you need to send a telegram? This is way too much money for that." And then Donald, trying to channel Monty, like doing the calm reassurance, like kind of roughly grabs her arm, <laughs> like a little too. Like, Don't you see that he's he's giving you a lot of money? You see what what's happening here? I don't have time for this. If you need if you need a telegram, go talk to one of our operators. Otherwise, get the hell out of here. Oh no. <laughs> uh, uh, y yes, uh, we 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 need to uh, send a telegram to this uh, Mr. What's his name? Radon. The guy who we're supposed to. Radon. Radon. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So we we we're here to send telegrams to Radon. Oh yeah, you and everybody else in this city. It would seem that way. Uh, yeah, if you uh, you want to get in line, you can talk to one of the operators. You can uh, dictate your message to them, and they'll uh, they'll make sure it gets where it needs to go. Could you tell us where it needs to go? We could just pay a visit ourselves. Well, that would that would defeat the purpose for the telegram, wouldn't it? Get, get, get the money out again. We're or just the money. <laughs> we're just trying to take something off your plate. You seem so so miserably busy. We're just trying to help, and he he takes more money out of his wallet, but like a slightly 
bigger amount. <laughs> do you, Maybe we could help sort them. Do you do you have a, an investigative ability that you would like to try to use? What about Demimond? Because he has all the underworld experience of like seedy clubs and mm-hmm. whatnot. Uh, do you think this woman is a member of the Demimond as well and would be interested in... No. Uh... <laughs> she's got a classic... She's got a tattoo on her arm that says she runs with a certain gang. I think the logic would be that he... He has dealt with tougher characters than this before in situations of greater peril, and this is just sort of an inconvenience, and so he thinks, oh, this is nothing. I've done this. Okay. Uh, If you want to use a push, I will uh, allow you to be successful with this person. Yeah, why not? Okay. Yeah, we need to we need to get something out of this, Chris. Because otherwise, this was, what did we do? She uh, she takes the second bill and looks at it and kind of slips them both in her pocket. And she says, "If I answer your question, will you get out of my hair?" Oh, certainly. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. Well, he's Monsieur Radon has set it up so that he will receive a delivery of telegrams each evening at the Sacre Coeur Basilica. Hmm. Thank you. Oh. Hmm. Well, thank you. Any chance you could divert some of these telegrams from making it there? Again, we don't want to overwhelm the man. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> right. Let's go. Yeah, you know, we're done. <laughs> wow. A couple of bumbling fools walk into a telegram office. <laughs> yeah, just couldn't get anything done. This woman so is a go business. I think they would go outside, and I would imagine the first thing Tom would do. You bungled the entire thing, Vanderbilt. <laughs> Thank God we were able to convince her in the end. Well, I, now I see why you throw that money around. You got nothing else. Good. Where did she say these telegrams are going? They're all going to the Basilica, apparently. Well, a, a Basilica. So the Sacre Coeur Basilica. Um, do either of you have culture? Yes. Yes. No, I don't. I thought I did. You I used have to have culture, I think, maybe before we changed your character. Before we changed it, yeah. Because there's no reason that Donald Braith would have culture. <laughs> no, there really is <laughs> uh, But you do, right, Chris? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so the Sacre Coeur Basilica is an unfinished basilica on the hill in Montmartre. Um, it was built after the time of the Commune Rebellion, and it was really kind of meant as a rebuke and kind of an erasure of the rebels, um, many of whom died on that hill. Uh, but remember that they were kind of they were they were anti-establishment. They killed the Archbishop of Paris, and so this the creation of this basilica was kind of meant as a rebuke to the to the commune. But it has not been finished, and it is kind of a sticking point between the left and the right in the city. Uh, so a strange place for him to be getting deliveries. You know, like there's scaffolding up on there like there's no there's nothing really around there uh, but that's what she said perhaps we should return to the eiffel tower collect monty and, and manu and check out the basilica i think so we might as well greet the first arrival of telegrams yeah might as well is as so out of character for a second is since percy knows this nadar character knows of him does this sound like in character that he would or, like, relevant for this person to live in an unfinished basilica or at least be associated with it? <laughs> Are, you're, you're, you're saying, like, is there, some, is there some connection between Nadar and the basilica? Yes, yeah. Uh, no, not that you can think of. Or does it is seem Nadar like... the type of man who right. would live? <laughs> no. <laughs> <Who> would... <laughs> okay. Probably okay. not. 
Are you like a famous bohemian lives under the Triborough Bridge or something? Like. <laughs> um, so I think the I think with the pigeon and the interview that probably took a little bit longer than the than the trip over to the telegram office, and so uh, you return to the Eiffel Tower to find the craft floating back up toward the top of the Eiffel Tower, and Monty and Manu having finished the interview. As I was saying, Manu, I mean, they are two very uh, well-spoken gentlemen. I'm sure that they have handled the telegraph office situation with aplomb. <sighs> well, we we didn't get much from the telegram office. Percy did his best, I suppose. You spoke with Giselle or no? Damn it. <laughs> we, we did. We spoke to someone. Actually, not sure why you would ever be acquainted with this individual. But... <laughs> hmm. I, I don't think that was Giselle. We received some useful information, however, or shall I say, <laughs> I received some useful information. Yes, uh, uh, it's at the Basilica. The, the telegrams are being delivered to the the, the unfinished Basilica. You, you know the one. The I don't know the name of it. <laughs> yeah, Secretor, yes. <laughs> of course. I don't take notes. <laughs> unfinished Basilica, fascinating. Uh, in another holy place indicted in all of this business. Fantastic. <sighs> It's gone so well for us before, Monty. Yes, yeah, so that's what I'm thinking of as well. Well, allons-y, we should go. Yes, Certainly. we know. Yes, perhaps. They'll be receiving a delivery of telegrams every evening. Perhaps we deliver ours ourselves. Maybe do something about the others they receive. What? We should throw them in the river? What should we do? Throw them in the river, burn them, <laughs> whatever. Perhaps give them to pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> that would work. <laughs> They'll go nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Manu. Very funny. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. I think Manu like looks to Percy. She's like, well, let's go, and looks at him of like, are you gonna, you know, get us a get us a carriage or something? <laughs> like not rude, just like this is how it works. Yeah, the expectation. I think Percy totally understands. Too. He immediately walks to the street and hails a cab or whatever, <laughs> whatever they have. Back if I may, uh, what time is it now? Oh, it's probably eleven noon. Yeah, probably noonish. And these deliveries are supposed to be coming in in the evening. Is that correct? Oh, should give us ample time to investigate the area and see if there's anything of note mm. that this Nadar character could that possibly is true, yes. built in. Yeah. Um, we can investigate, and perhaps I can uh, write up some uh, messages, what we would normally put on telegrams to send in and to present for the four of us. Certainly. We we cannot forget to participate in whatever strange game this is. I certainly would hate to miss out because we didn't follow this man's rules. <laughs> and don't don't worry about mine. I'll, I'll handle that myself. And he, like, opens his notebook and, like, scraps of terrible poetry fall out and <laughs> starts scribbling frantically. I think Manu is like, write one for me, too, if you will. Please. S'il vous plaît. Well, I have. I can. I'll write yours, Manu. Don't worry. Monty, give me a piece of paper. And <laughs> he pulls out his little notebook oh as well. Whatever is needed here, Don. <laughs> Thank you. So the four of you get in a carriage and head over to the Sacre Coeur Basilica. On the way, Donald, you maybe maybe you know, you know, Monty has given you the scrap of paper and you reach into your breast pocket to pull out a pen so that you can try to start crafting something for Manu. And you feel a slip of paper in your breast pocket that you don't remember putting there. I'm going to take it out and look at it. Okay. It's a telegram. Hmm. 
mm-hmm. but it's printed in red ink and which is not normal for telegrams and it's an invitation for you to come to the lapine agile uh which is a a a bar a cabaret uh cabaret and bar in momotra so in the same neighborhood as the basilica at 11 p.m and the last two words are just come alone i think he will i think he's probably his immediate thought when he sees it is to like grab Monty and he does. Mm-hmm. He grabs Monty's arm and then takes a like takes a beat, looks at it again, and then I would imagine Monty turns to him to say like Yeah, everything all right, Don? Uh, no, I I I uh, just might need some some assistance with with uh, Manu's telegram. I may have bitten off more than I could can chew. <laughs> No, oh, yes, I'm happy to lend a hand in writing whatever it is that uh, you know would make the most sense for for her application for this. Thank you, thank you, Monty. And I think he just puts it back in his pocket and doesn't say anything. <gasps> All right. So the four of you arrive at the Sacré Cœur. Uh, it is up on the hill that overlooks Mamatra, and so it's a it's a nice view from up on the hill at the base of the basilica down onto the neighborhood. You see that there is kind of scaffolding set up at the Basilica. Uh, it even seems like there are a few workers that are kind of standing around. It doesn't look like there's heavy work being done on the Basilica at the moment, but, you know, somebody's doing something here right now. No sign of an aircraft uh, tethered to the top of the Basilica. Can, I think Manu's just going to, like, walk over and start talking to the construction workers. Like, not even check in with anyone. Just like, bonjour. Like, ça va? Can you tell us, we we have heard that this is the site involved with the, the new adventure in Paris. Have you heard about anything? Adventure? What kind of adventure? Who can say? It has to do with a, a flying balloon. No, there's no such and thing. And a Monsieur Radon. Do, have you, do you know of him? I don't know very many Monsieurs. <laughs> I love this guy. What's his name? What's his name? Jacques. <laughs> yes. All right. I'd like to to get to know you a little bit better, though. What's your name? Oh, I do not give that away so easily. Uh, have a nice time working. Thank you for talking. And, like, moves away. <laughs> Goodbye, Jacques. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Jacques. Jacques. <laughs> uh, Manu, why should I presume not much information coming from the workers here? I believe him. He does not know anything about right. our quest. I, I think Donald would start to kind of look around, maybe walk away a little bit, just look and see if anything looks out of sorts. Uh, do I have any kind of searching or investigate? I guess I have architecture, so I could see if anything is strange about the the construction or if there's anything that seems like it's new or anything that seems like it's it's out of place in a construction site like this. Sure. How much how much digging do you want to do? Like, are you just going to give it a kind of a walk around? Are you going to try to climb up on any of the scaffolding, anything like that? I think he's probably, he's he's slowly but surely losing his mind. I think he'd probably cl- climb up on the scaffolding. Like, I don't think he's thinking very much of, like, is this safe, is this not safe? So I think he'd probably do a pretty deep dig right now. He's pretty single-minded. Okay. You want to give me an athletics check? Sure. You want to roll, you want to add anything to it before you roll? Uh, athletics? Uh, yeah, let me add one. Uh, he... He had a hearty breakfast this morning. <laughs> <laughs> or actually, what it really is, is he's trying to impress Manu yeah. with how strong his upper body yeah. is. Uh, okay. 
A six. All right. So you start climbing around, nice. start pulling yourself up. Do it. You, you do like a, you, you do an extra no, chin up. <laughs> he keeps like looking back to see. If he's she's like looking, looking at the river, or a cloud, higher. or something. And he's like, ah, <laughs> all right, higher still. <laughs> you don't notice any. It doesn't look like a lot of work has been done recently, which doesn't surprise you. It's been kind of a long, delayed project. And I think you probably have been here before, um, because even though you're not particularly interested in art, you are interested in architecture. And so the prospect of, of kind of keeping tabs on a on an unfinished basilica probably appeals to you to a degree. Doesn't look like a lot of work has been done. You know, given the current situation, I think you would say that, though you don't see any signs of the aircraft docking here, it seems like a decent place for the aircraft to dock. Hmm. All right. So I think, armed with that knowledge, he'll come back down, and he'll just kind of, you know, in the grand nature of my game tradition, it seems like a good place for the <laughs> airship to dock. It, it does certainly seem as though, while I can't say for sure if it has been or hasn't, it, it seems as though he would be able to get whatever that machine of his is to this location. Um, while Don is doing that, I would just like to turn to Percy. Uh, Mr. Vanderbilt, uh, you seem like a man who receives a fair amount of telegrams yourself from your various uh, socialite friends. Hmm. Generally, when you have received telegrams, where do they come when you are at your home? Well, in, in my home, certainly we'd have an entire room where a servant would receive them and... Now, in my apartment here, I just gather them myself, often. Understood. Do they just come- I presume they simply come to the front door. Yes, yes. Why don't we go around and check the, uh, whatever would be considered the front door of this basilica, the one facing out towards the- towards the road, and just see if there's any space where it looks like, uh, a telegram worker might leave a, a bag of telegrams for someone. Yes, very good thinking. So you go around to what would be considered the front door of the Basilica. There's no, like, mailbox, uh, mm -hmm. but there certainly is, like, a pretty grand entrance there. The heavy wooden doors are, there is a chain around them, and it's padlocked. Mm. Mm. All right. Mm. So too hard to pick, or, like, broad daylight probably shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know whether don't you think the workers wouldn't. would yeah. say anything. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to try in daylight, but just... No, but I guess but what I'm saying is that it's, it's not open to the public. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, it's not like okay. someone could be oh. in there without permission. Right, right. But okay. we could sweet talk the workers and try and get in if we want yeah, to. I, I think Percy already has his hand in his wallet and is walking over to one of the... To, back to Jacques. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Oh, Jacques's back! Just to see yeah. if he could let us in. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, Jacques! <laughs> you think I have a key? It seems like a man of your abilities is sort of running the show here. No, we, our work is outside. We we don't touch the inside. That's for the artists. <gasps> Which well, artists? We are artists ourselves. Not for you, uh, <laughs> Mr. 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 Uh, Jacques. Was it? <laughs> yes. You may not Mr. have a key, Jacques. sir, but you do have a pair of eyes, and uh, my associate here has quite a bit of money. Perhaps we could uh, request that your eyes look the other way for a f few moments. Uh, you do have negotiation, I believe, Monty. I do have negotiation, <laughs> okay. yes. Uh, he says, well, I, I'll i be honest, uh, my eyes do like to wander. Uh, it'd have to be a 
you know, a not-so-small sum. And Mummar is lovely at this time of day, is it not, sir? No, it is. Uh, everybody looks at Percy like, <laughs> like hell yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Vanderbilt, I'll leave this, this next part up to you. <laughs> Percy pulls out a preposterous sum, like not even, like probably more money than this guy has seen in the last two years and just hands oh it over God. like it's nothing. Because, oh because because Percy thinks that the problem with his past attempts was that it wasn't enough money. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jacques takes the money he looks down at it. He looks back at Percy. He looks down at the money again. And then he just sprints away. <laughs> Another enemy felled by your rapier, Vanderbilt. <laughs> <laughs> and like while they're doing this, Manu is like already looking at how to get in. Uh, could one of us, uh, with preparedness, perhaps, have some sort of lockpick? Especially, there's two of us with Demi Maul. Perhaps one of us yeah. might uh, have access to yeah. a lockpick. Sure. Um, would one of you like to roll it? And if so, would you like to spend anything on it? Oh, what I, What is your uh, preparedness, Mr. Vanderbilt? Uh, I have five, so Ooh. I would be happy to. I'll leave this up to you then, sir. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'll spend two. Uh, what's your reasoning behind spending two? Um, I mean, Percy, <laughs> given his experience in the underworld, he's always got, you know, the nicest possible relevant tools for mischief so yeah i think he has i imagine he just materials. buys illegal things off of yes. people in the yes. underworld yeah. all the time they just present them <laughs> yes. to him and he's like oh that's interesting and Ooh, just yes. buys it. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah sure no problem uh go ahead and roll it all right so it's a six total yes uh yes you have a you have a, a silver plated lock pick <laughs> <laughs> on you a skeleton <laughs> Um, and with your demi mond ability, I think you would be able to um, use utilize the lockpick, um, and you take off the padlock. Let's go inside. I think Percy gestures grandly at everyone as if as if he's just done something incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Donald just rolls his eyes and walks in front of him. In <laughs> uh, so you go inside. It the floors are covered in uh, sawdust. There's scaffolding up inside as well. You know, it looks nothing like what a completed basilica would look like. There's no statues in here. There's no, there are no frescoes that have been painted on the walls or the ceilings. Mm-hmm. You know, there aren't even the, there aren't pews in the, you know, laid out. It's just a huge kind of open space. Uh, you can see where the altar would be, um, but it, you know, nothing's been installed. The inside is is quite empty except for the scaffolding and any tools that are being used to uh, to continue building the, the basilica. Are there windows? Uh, there, yeah. So there are spots for what you would assume would be stained glass windows, mm-hmm. um, but they're boarded up at the moment. Okay. Is any light coming inside, or just from the door that we opened? Yeah, just from the door. I mean, and some some cracks in the, you know, it's it's not like the the window boards are so sealed tight. There's you know yeah. a little bit of crack of light that's coming through there as well. Okay, but enough no open light spaces. for us to look around. Yeah, especially if you keep the door open. Okay. So I think. Yeah, I know Donald would probably once again just kind of break off and start looking around yeah. and start seeing if there's anything Think, but interesting. We will just let, why don't we spread out and cover the area and see yeah. what we can find. Manu like murmurs to Percy about the, the beauty of the light filtering in and the space and then they, they look for any proof of the artists. Um yeah, so so you're looking for for sorry, say that again, Manu. What are you what are you looking for specifically? 
do you think? Like any of like the artisan stuff. Like Jock said there were artists inside. Gotcha. What are what is anybody else like what are you what are you hoping to find in here, do you think? I would be specifically looking for any evidence of any person being in here who might not be a worker who was working on building the basilica. Yeah. If there is if any evidence of anyone else, especially if there's anything indicating someone maybe a slightly upper class has been, you know, around here who would not be one of the regular workers um, building the basilica, anything like that. Okay. I think Donald is looking kind of for something, but I think his mind is still fairly preoccupied with the the telegram thing in his pocket. Mm. Like I don't think he shook that. So I think that he is just kind of like purposefully walking around and looking at things. And if you ask him like, hey, what are you looking for? Probably wouldn't know the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of like almost trying to distract himself and looking for any anything that could be any kind of connection to something that doesn't belong in the Basilica. Okay. Makes sense. And Percy, what about you? I think Percy is, I think he thinks he's further along in figuring this out than he probably is. And so he's thinking of this Nadar business that he knows about and this balloonist and cartoonist and mysterious man from Marseille. And I think he's looking for that kind of evidence. Um, And, you know, obviously I think he he makes the ballooning connection. So he thinks that that's what he expects to see if Radan is here too. But I think he believes firmly that these are the same guy. So he's looking for any signs that sort of match what he knows. Gotcha. Some sort of like poster board with a bunch of cartoons up on it. Yes, aerial <laughs> photographs or something. Some deflated balloons lying on the ground. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I think the overall sense of the space for all of you is a little haunting because of its size and because of its emptiness. I don't think that in Paris, perhaps not since, uh, especially I think Monty and Donald have been back in the United States, potentially Monty, you know, at kind of like a rail depot or something like that, or like a, a warehouse where, you know, maybe, you know, things are built. Have you been in such a large space that is so open, so quiet, you know, a- every sound you make kind of echoes up around the walls and you're all looking around trying to see if there's any sign of artists being in here in the case of Manu, if there's any sign that anyone upper class has been in here um, for Monty or specifically whether uh, Nadar has been in here. And it really looks like nobody has been in here in a while. Um, You don't even notice a lot of footprints in the, in the, the kind of sawdust of the ground. It looks like any work that was, artists are certainly not working in here right now. They're, it, mm-hmm. you know, it wouldn't make any sense for them to be working here right now. Like it, it's in, it's in too much of a state of disarray and it doesn't seem like anybody else has been walking around, even workers. So, you know, maybe Jacques was being truthful when he said like, we work out here, we don't work in there because maybe mm-hmm. that, maybe any work that's being done right now is being done outside. I think Donald would get frustrated by the lack of, of anything in here and just kind of come back over to the group. And be like, I, I, nothing, nothing here connects this to this, this character and this, this, this airship of his or your, your cartoonist friend. Nothing at all. I agree. There's nothing here. We should just go and get a meal. Maybe we can sit where we can see the church and wait for someone to arrive. 
I suppose that this this does still tell us information. It doesn't seem like uh, Monsieur Radon uses this basilica as any sort of outpost from what we can tell. He is not staying here. None of his associates are staying here. They may simply be using this as the point of drop-off. They come and collect shortly thereafter and then make good their escape. Are, th- are there like other rooms or you know a staircase leading to a basement or mm. something like that um so there are kind of alcoves along the mm. side um you don't see any stairs to a basement and it doesn't seem like you know a balcony or anything like that has been built yet so i mean there's obviously room for that to have to, for that to happen but right now it's just like a large open space perhaps he chose this location because it's so Empty and useless. Perhaps he, he chose a, a spot in the city that no sane man would tread upon for his game or whatever this is. It does Perhaps make it sense. Perhaps it is a garage, you know? The, the, the crafts can, can be inside. Perhaps. Well, certainly this would be a location where once the workers go home when the sun sets, I wouldn't expect to see anyone wandering around here in the evenings. So it is both uh, a landmark, but one that I would expect to be somewhat isolated when they come to collect. Certainly. I, I imagine he wouldn't want a good number of people you know, finding out where, finding out how, so it, it does make sense that he would try to keep it hmm. below uh, uh, observation, I suppose. We should not make ourselves hidden when they arrive, though, no? We want them... We want it to be a, a pleasant surprise for them that we are here. Well, yes, I, To submit I, our names? And we were told, uh, Manu and I, when we interviewed this gentleman, that... They would be selecting people who had had some great impact on the world. Um, we were not able to get a clearer definition of exactly what that was supposed to mean, but uh, the our understanding is it would be a very select group. I'm sure you're quite sorry to hear that, Mr. Vanderbilt. <laughs> <laughs> I think Percy's just chuckling and saying... I- I'm a Vanderbilt. Of course I've made a great contribution to the world. <laughs> Manu is, like, thinking through in her mind, like, the different pieces of art she's, like, been amused for. And it's like, oh, this can count. <laughs> All the people that died after they, after they painted you. <laughs> she doesn't mention those. <laughs> yeah. We, there is a distinct chance that we may all for already have an in for the things that we have experienced and dealt with up until this point, given that this may all be tied back to some of the unusual experiences that we have had. So perhaps we will be lucky and that will count. Did you get that sense from him, Monty? Did you feel any of the same sort of feelings or connections we've, we've felt before? Did this seem to be one of those situations? I would say my, my uh, innate sense was that yes, this is something highly unusual. Um, as I shared with you, I was tipped off to it by our friend, <clears throat> Miss Casilda. And, of course, um, we have had the already had the experience of the symbol. Manu recognized that, and all of us saw something very different with this ship that they were using. There's clearly something very strange going on here, and I believe it is tied to what we have experienced previously. Good lord, I hate this city. <laughs> I think this is the first time that Percy has heard uh, Monty say that he was tipped off by Casilda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How does he react to that? 
I think he's a little bit jealous and a little bit curious because I think he sort of thought that Casilda was his turf and, you know, he had sort of a special connection with her based on his previous experience a couple weeks ago. So I think he's a little bit, he's not going to say anything, kind of keep those cards close to his chest, but I think he's going to, he wants to pursue that a little bit further. Manu is like, who is, who is Casilda? Because she wouldn't, she wouldn't know, right? No, probably not. No. Oi, paramour? <laughs> Casilda is uh, unless and unless uh, Percy jumps in to say anything, I will, I will respond. She's the All most right. beautiful woman. <laughs> <laughs> I think Percy, for once in his life, feels like he shouldn't share something. Like he needs to keep this to himself, and this is personal for him. All right, Casilda is a young woman who uh, was closely tied to some unusual events that occurred. Uh, with uh, Donald, myself, and uh, Miss Frances Anderson, with the uh, Pellier Garnier, whatever it's called. <laughs> Pellier Garnier, uh, I think. Pellier Garnier, uh, the theater. Events that I can only describe, and Don, you may feel free to jump in with your own thoughts on this, but uh, I would only describe them as otherworldly. And she seemed to be not simply intricately connected to this, but. Uh, there's a sense that I have gotten that she may be uh, close to the top of all of this business. She is Unami. She is on our side or on the other side? Manu, I do not know. I would love to be able to answer that question for you, but I do not know. And she, she encouraged you to go to the events today? She did indeed. She uh, offered me a tip, shall we say. Something may be occurring. Um, she uh, enticed me with uh, offers of potential success, in fact, and then provided me with this tip when I agreed. Is um is Percy wearing it all on his face that this is something that he has an like is like uh, accustomed like attached to? Because I think that Donald would be struck by the fact that he's not speaking. Yeah, like, I think that it would it would be like wait a minute like well he's he is surprisingly quiet so I think while Monty is talking to Manu Donald is looking at at Percy if he's not making direct eye contact then he'd look away <laughs> but I think is is Percy showing it on his face or is he kind of stealing himself and not I I think he would give something up <laughs> I I think he would look. A little bit uncomfortable, maybe a little bit of a look of recognition that he he does actually know who Casilda is. I don't I don't think a lot more than that, but there's something you could see his eyes light up a little bit. Um, there's definitely something more than he's showing. I don't think Donald would call it out, but I think that he will make a point at some point to, to sidebar with Monty and be like, when you were talking about Casilda, I think Percy kind of there was something there. He might he might know more than he's telling us. Likewise, Manu is like saving away the information that Monty would be willing to work with someone who might not be good for success. And that makes her actually like quite suspicious of him. Yeah, because I think your only interaction with not that Monty's and Donald's were particularly Monty's and Donald's or Percy's were particularly cheery uh, affairs. But I think yours, Manu's, was the most tragic and devastating at least the outcome. Yeah. So potentially you would be kind of in the camp of people who couldn't fathom there being any benefit to anything like that. 
Yeah, and like because she's not pursuing her own art, like the idea that you would like, I don't be willing to harm people for that is like really she can't really comprehend that. Yeah. So I think the four of you are kind of having this conversation, and perhaps you make your way back outside of the church as you're wrapping up the conversation back into the sunlight. Well, not sunlight, but back into the kind of the dreariness of this of this day. And I'd like you to all make me a spot... Uh, sorry, not spot hidden. That's called Cthulhu. A sense <laughs> trouble test. Sense trouble. Let me know if you're spending anything on it before you roll. And, and if so, why? Uh, we'll start with Percy. Yeah, I'll, I'll spend one. And the reason is... Um, as I think we've said with Percy, he's always had this foreboding sense that he's fated to die a, a gruesome and mysterious death somewhat soon. <gasps> and so I think he, he's always in tune with trouble. He thinks yep. um, even when things are going really well for him, he's he thinks it could be right around the corner. Yep. Go ahead and roll. So it's a five total. Okay. Uh, Manu? Mm-hmm. I don't have any of that, but oh my God. I got a one again. Okay. Uh, Donald? Uh, I think probably yeah, no spend. He is he's getting pretty pissed off, and he's starting to lose his like any kind of composure that he the minimal he had. Mm-hmm. So I'll just go naked roll two. Okay, and uh, Montgomery Hog. I'm going to spend one. Uh, I think Monty Monty went into this as much eyes open as he possibly could, even with the agreement with Casilda that sort of led to the tip and and going forward. He knows that the last two times he's engaged with any of this, it has led to near disastrous outcomes for himself and his friends. And so he is treating the entire thing with a degree of caution, um, understanding that there could be problems, trouble at any point that could come up from all of this. That's cocked. Total of six. Total of six. So, Monty, you are the one to notice... You kind of look down on the neighborhood around you and in an alleyway that is kind of at the edge of the hill the basilica is built up on, kind of right at the edge of the neighborhood, almost the edge of town, there's someone kind of hiding themselves up against the wall, but they have one of those like like eyeglasses, like telescopic eyeglasses, and they're clearly (laughs) looking up at the four of you. And then they dart down, back away out of the alleyway when you come out. And that is where we're going to end our story for now. Hmm. Knew it. Knew it. (laughs) Excellent. I love it. This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Robin D. Laws, both used under the Pelgrane Press limited community use policy, along with the music from the Yellow King Suite written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit www.patreon.com slash nomgpodcast.